Hello, how's it going? How are y'all keeping? I hope everybody's keeping well. Good, good, good. Um, so, yeah, so this podcast consists of two separate short stories, and um, I'm working on sorting out something online, like a blog or something, um, where I can post my stories online for people who prefer to read, because I don't, I'm not great with um, with like audio books and stuff. Um, I've got I've got a bad attention span for that kind of thing. I don't know what it is, but um, but reading it's fine. So um, just for people who prefer to read, um, or anybody who cares to read, um, my short stories, um, I'm gonna put them. I'm gonna find. I'm gonna get sort out like a blog or something online where I can put them. Um, but for now, uh, you're stuck with me reading them out, you. So there's two short stories here. One is called uh, "An Act of Pure Selflessness and Kindness," and the other one is called "Teaching." Uh, the first one was recorded when I had a bit of a cold, um, so my voice is very nasally sounding, and then the other one was recorded a few days after, so my voice sounds slightly different. Um, hopefully that mixes, mixes it up a bit or something, I don't know, I do not know. Um, but um, here you go, so without further ado, I'm going to play at those short stories now. Thank you very much indeed for listening. And uh, let me know what you think of them if you listen to the short stories. Thank you very much. Goodbye. This is a very short story about a man called Peter. About a man called Peter. An act of pure kindness and selflessness. Peter couldn't quite believe what he was hearing when he was told about it first. Of course he was aware of it, and must have known that donations were in fact given, but he had never paid much thought as to who the people were giving these donations, and he certainly never thought he could do it. He was also then thrilled at the very idea of being one of these selfless individuals who did so, and he immediately started to fantasise about giving a donation of his own. Now Peter had always been a lover of women, and, hadn't, and luck hadn't been on his side in terms of finding someone who he could have a family with. Now, well into his forties, the possibility was growing smaller and smaller. I've just never found a woman I could keep, Peter had always said in his own very jovial but rehearsed routine. He was often told that his optimistic and positive outlook was rather inspiring. He never let the fact that he was continually single for his entire life get to him, and he never allowed it to lead him to feeling lonely. I know men with wives, children, friends and a whole lot and they're still not happy. Just goes to show you that circumstance doesn't dictate how you should feel and it's totally up to your own perception and the way in which you choose to look at the world, Peter always said. Now Peter wasn't naive to the world. He knew the hardship fell upon people all the time and luck doesn't discriminate between good and bad people. On the contrary, luck chooses its people very randomly seemingly without order, one of the few things which genuinely saddened Peter. Sometimes the world just isn't fair. And one of the other things which saddened Peter was to see a young couple who couldn't have children of their own. Some people, insofar as he saw it, were completely deserving of children, but luck simply wasn't on their side, while someone like himself wasn't likely to have children, but was totally capable of fathering his own. 
it was having it was in having this exact conversation with one of the regulars at Peter's most local bar, where Peter found out about sperm donation. In learning this piece of information, Peter was prompted to go home and do some research, which he didn't need to go too deep into before arriving at the epiphany that he himself should donate some of his sperm. He himself has the power to make true the dreams of a young couple of having a family. The idea that a couple could raise a child with his own DNA was simply the happiest thought Peter had thought on that Tuesday. Or any other Tuesday for that matter. So without much consideration for himself or his own selfish desires, Peter started. Peter, however, wasn't the most tech-savvy and didn't know a great deal about researching on the internet. And he also didn't pay much attention to the idea that there was in fact a need to consult anyone about his donations before making them. So, Peter's well-intentioned endeavour also became ill-informed and futile. Peter did not know that one would have to first consult an agency and go through a quite a thorough and lengthy vetting process in which only 10% of applicants are selected. He also didn't give a second thought into what sort of container one might need to store his samples in. He also didn't realise he couldn't store several different emissions into one sample bottle. And so Peter, in his admittedly well-meaning venture, started to collect and store his semen in an old washed-out Fanta bottle. Peter would go through the days excited knowing that in the evening he would get to go home, twist off that plastic cork and masturbate into it. As far as Peter was concerned, he was performing an act of pure kindness and selfishness. Of course, he enjoyed collecting the samples for other reasons, but any sexual gain he received was purely secondary to the real intended outcome. Peter still maintains to this very day that those few weeks it took to fill that bottle to the brim were among the happiest weeks of his life. He claims there isn't a single greater wank a man can have than one in which he knows he's bringing a new life into this world. So, after what turned out to be several weeks, the Fanta bottle had become about three quarters of the way full and Peter decided it was probably time to take it to the doctor and have it donated. He was starting to worry that it was becoming slightly discoloured and the cap was getting harder and harder to twist off because the semen which had built up around the top would coagulate and dry forming an almost crystally substance which didn't seem very good. And so it was to be a wonderful Wednesday when Peter put on his cap and grabbed his cane and he headed off out to his GP to finally donate the sperm which he had been gathering for the better part of three months. He tucked his Fanta bottle of semen into his jacket pocket and he was heading away straight for the doctor. When he arrived at the doctor's, he was greeted by Katrina, the receptionist, who he had always good conversation with. It was always nice, Peter felt, to have someone so kind and considerate greeting you at the front desk of a doctor's, a place where one would mainly frequent when they were at a particularly low point. So he always made it his business to bring her a box of chocolates at Christmas, and he was happy to accept nothing in return. It's always, it's always important to go out of your way for someone else, Peter always said. And so Katrina greeted him. Hi Peter. Hello Katrina, he extended back to her. How are you? I'm good Peter, here to see the doctor. I am. But then Peter realised. Oh no, wait, you actually might know. Go on. You see, I was hoping to become I was hoping to become a sperm donor. Oh, okay. And uh, do I need to see the doctor? No, Peter, there's actually an agency that sorts it. Oh right, yeah. I can actually give you their number. The way it works is you go through a whole vetting process and a very small number of people actually get to become donors. Um, I'll give you their number and you can talk to them. Takes a while, does it? The process? It can take a while, Peter, yeah. Oh right. Peter felt quite deflated in this moment. 
He reached into his jacket pocket and retrieved the Fanta bottle. You see, oh, you see, the thing is, I'm worried this might go bad by the time it goes, by the time it all goes. Oh my god! Yeah, you see, I've been collecting. Yeah, well, is that a Fanta bottle? Yeah, well, obviously I washed it out first, but why would you? What? Get get out! What? Get get out, Peter! Peter, get out! But what? Why? Peter, get out! All right, all right. And Peter turned and stumbled back out the door with his bottle in hand, and he walked home angry, an emotion which he usually avoided as much as he possibly could as he always felt there was too much of it in the world. But he couldn't help feel the incredible injustice that had just been laid before him. There was him working for weeks to make a young couple's dreams into a reality, and the thanks he was to receive was nowhere to be found. And on that Wednesday, Peter went home, head tucked low, spirits crushed, and he poured his bottle of semen down the sink in which it would have gone in the first place. And he was angry. And he vowed that he would never take on an act of such selflessness again. On that day, Peter became slightly more bitter than he had been previously, and the locals have all felt the brunt of it ever since. Okay, so that was an act of pure kindness and selflessness. And here's the next one, teaching. Um, So yeah, so this is called teaching. So I parked up in the car and I awaited her arrival. Not thinking of much, my brain was elsewhere. Whilst waiting, I took it upon myself to grade a few of the papers I was meant to have done for the following week. I suppose I'd been procrastinating. I don't know why the school insisted on having the results of the summer exams in so early in the year. Marie said that it's good for the students to not have to worry about it over the summer, but she's clearly paid no attention to the bunch I had in front of me this year. I have my sincere doubts that that group of second years will give too much thought over their English grade during the summer while they're going to fields to drink vodka and finger each other. I feel sorry for the new generation of teachers that I meet, beginning their careers excited with the good-natured and full intention of bringing a passion and excitement for learning to teenagers. They're in for what is almost certain to be a harsh and crippling disappointment. People say age has bittered me, but I just think it's made me see things for what they are. I decided to crack the window and treat myself to a cigarette to help me through the excruciatingly monotonous task of marking papers. I have reached a point in life where I no longer feel bothered about the smell of Benson and Hedges in the car. My wife is bound to complain, but she's going to find just about anything to complain about these days, so that no longer felt like a threat. I've come a long way from not wearing certain cardigans without smoking so that she wouldn't notice the smell. And now... I'm quite happy and contented to have a constant looming hum of cigarette smell attached to me in any other cardigan that I own. Nobody seems to mind, aside from the odd student here or there who would shout, Will you give me a fag, sir? As I was giving a rather kind grade to a pupil who couldn't even spell Seamus Heaney's name properly, I got a text. It was from her. It read, I am here. And so I called her. She answered, Hello, in her thick European accent the origin of which I have since forgotten. I feel like it might have been Romania, but I cannot quite recall. How are you, says I back to her. You were there now? Yeah, yeah, says I. Do you see the car? No, she says back. In her defence, it was quite dark. Not by coincidence, of course, it was quite deliberate. I flashed the lights at the car and she instantly pipes up. Yes, yes, I see you. All right, I'll see you in a few seconds, so, says I. 
and as I sat in my waiting, compulsion required me to look over both of my shoulders several times as she made her way into my direction. At this point in the transaction, I was almost always irritably anxious about any single soul seeing her get in or out of the car, but thankfully I have been uncharacteristically lucky in that respect. Nobody had seen her. At least nobody who knows me. She sat into the passenger seat of the car, all smiles as usual, and we spent the first five or ten minutes extending pleasantries and awkward conversation where she felt the need to tell me about her family. She was excited because there was a possibility they would be able to make it over for Christmas this year. I would have preferred that she didn't talk about her family because it tended to put me off, but I didn't have the heart to stop her. My wife says that I have no backbone. Of course, she would say that. Owing to the fact that she has since made it her vocation to cut me down to stubs as she blames me for how our lives have turned out. It isn't simply my fault. Or hers. We both made the same decision of getting married. And we both went into it with the same painfully acquiescent optimism as every other young couple does. I feel almost an obligation to inform young couples of the error they are almost certain to make, should they not have their heads screwed on. Every couple in those early stages of their romance feels a sense of luck and complete and utter bewilderment at their situation as the breathing chemicals in their brains shoot back and forth in their bodies, clouding all of their reasoned judgement. The early, early days when you are by each other's side every hour of every day, you wake up together and go to bed together. Life seemingly couldn't be any better and there's no indication that it will ever get any worse. However, this is simply an illusion. An illusion that is finite. An illusion that is the breaking of most men. It all disappears, until the day you're pulling yourself into the sink of the ensuite and trying not to wake her. Until the day she walks in and finds you pulling yourself into the sink of the ensuite and she gawks at you with a face of disgust that you one day thought was never even possible for her face to make, as she says, Fuck's sake, do you have to do that in here? I feel the obligation to warn every man of this, particularly at weddings when the sheer sincerity and optimism is bound to delude the youngsters, as well as the bride and groom, although I'm almost always good enough to stop myself. Except there was one time I right where I caused a bit of a stir, and the bride wanted me to leave, but thankfully I could blame it on the cheap beer at the reception. In the same way, I worry for my son. He's just brought home his first girlfriend, and I can see that idiotic and innocent loving look on his face when she's anywhere near his proximity. I feel for him as he has no clue what he's teeing himself up for. Almost like a dog wagging its tail on the way to the vet to be put down. I don't have the heart to tell him the truth. That it will all be fun and games until he brings her to the Debs and she takes a lad who's better looking and bigger than he is into the disabled toilet cubicles and a video of her with a mouthful of semen goes viral across every WhatsApp group in West Limerick. I just haven't got the heart to tell him that. And your son, she said to me. I suddenly felt brought back to earth. I hadn't a clue what she was talking about for the last five minutes. I was completely elsewhere. Well, what? Sorry. I said back to her. Your son? He's good? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very good. Yeah, yeah. How old is he? She says. He's just about to turn 18, I said back. I would have preferred. I would have preferred that she hadn't brought him up, to be honest. Oh, wow, she says. So big. And it dawned on me then that that was the first time I'd heard her say those words to me. At this stage, she had gotten the awkward opening chit-chat out of both of our systems and decided to get down to it, adjusting herself sideways to make it easier to lean across to me. And as she did, she started to rub my crotch, and I couldn't feel any movement whatsoever. I could tell that she couldn't either, but she wasn't saying anything, and she unzipped my trouser and pulled the little fella out. And it was to my deepest shame to find that it was flopping more than a raw rasher. 
And she looked at me and she says, it is okay. It's fine, says I, it's fine, just keep going. And so she did. To almost no result. There was nothing happening. Nothing. Not an inch of movement. She just flopped it around in her hand for what turned out to be four and a half long and incredibly uncomfortable minutes before I had to call it. It's alright, says I, it's alright, you can stop. Is it okay, she said back, innocently enough. It's grand, it's grand, I just can't, uh, you know. Oh, okay. I, um, I hesitated for a moment. I don't, uh, I don't still have to pay, do we? And it was as if those words were some sort of trigger. Her expression and demeanour turned to one of pure aggression. What you mean, she says. You pay, you pay. All right, okay, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. I said, handing her back the money. Just because your dick doesn't work doesn't mean you don't pay. You pay. Okay, okay, okay. I was saying back to her. I was holding my head down low, avoiding eye contact and wiping the particles of spit off of my face. I'm sorry, I says. She turned and walked out of the car, firing a few insults at me in a language I didn't understand. I felt a great deal of relief when she left because for a fleeting moment there, I began to worry that I might have got myself into some serious trouble. So I stopped to get some over-the-counter Viagra tablets on the way home and I took one when I met it back. The house was empty. My son was probably at his girlfriend's and I haven't a clue where the wife was. I was shocked at how quickly them tablets worked and how effective they were. It was almost uncomfortable. My wife came home fairly late while I was mid-wank on the bed so I had to stop. She seems shocked to find me there. It's a strange thing that after over 20 years of marriage I had to conceal an erection from her. It was when she came in I noticed how dolled up she was. She had red colour on her lips and she stank of perfume and hairspray. It wasn't like her to look so dolled up of a Thursday night. And so this was the evening where my suspicion that she'd been having an affair began. This depressed me, although our marriage had been without any form of love for well over 15 years at this stage. I went back into the ensuite to relieve myself of my erection. Not as a form of pleasure, that mood had passed, but simply to counter the effects of the shockingly powerful tablet. And it was then, at that instant, that I realised what a mistake I had made in my life. And I was adamant from then on to stop anyone from making the same mistake as I did. Never get married. Never. Don't feed into the lie. Don't fall for the trap. Never get married. Are you listening to me, are you? What's your name again? And come here, are you related to the bride or to the groom? <laughs> Alright, well there you go. Um, those were two short stories. Uh, I hope you liked them. Uh, please let me know if you liked them or not. Uh, thank you all very much for listening this far, if you have listened this far. And please recommend it to a friend if you have any friends who are of uh, a certain persuasion and they're in- interested in this kind of um, in in this kind of shite, I suppose. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and I'll see you in the next one. Cheers. <laughs>